our scripture reading from Luke chapter 14. The cost of being a disciple. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turned to them. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and child, children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off, and will he ask for terms of peace? In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Sovereign Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight on what it means to be a disciple. And not just be a disciple, but be your disciple. God, we don't want any fluff. We don't want anything fake. We want what you have to call us into. And so, God, would you speak to our hearts in a new and a fresh way of what it means to follow you, even how, uh, Lord, you, you beckon us into uh, a high standard. So, God, and th thank you that you don't lower the standard, but, Lord, that you bring us up by your grace, uh, according to your timeline, um, more and more shaping us into your image. And so, God, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, plot a way forward for each and every one of us tonight who wants to take seriously this invitation to follow you. That, Lord God, you would meet us where, you, where we are by your grace. Your mercy would be shown to us, that you would have compassion on us as it is, uh, Lord, well within your nature to show your steadfast love towards us that, God, you would do so now with where we are in this particular season of life, where you have us, that, God, we would see the steps that you have um, placed before us, that we would just walk in them by your grace. So, God, would you speak to our hearts tonight as we worship you in spirit and in truth? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are starting a new series tonight called Honest Discipleship. Honest Discipleship. Um, this is a three-week series I'm really excited about. Um, to see what the Bible has to say about discipleship and, uh, and see where that can meet us where we are. I'm not sure where you are in your spiritual walk, but I'm in a position I have never been in before. Uh, no other point in my life looks like what it does now. Now more than ever, I need an honest-to-goodness look at what it means to follow Jesus with my life, the way we just sang about. I don't want the fake stuff. I can't handle the guilt of what other people say it needs to look like. I need to know what does Jesus say from the Bible. And I need to see what his disciples, his followers do as a response to his words from the Bible. And so we'll be looking at one disciple in particular, probably the most well-known disciple 
of Jesus Christ, that is Peter, also known as Simon or Simon Peter, as we'll see from some of our passages tonight. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, uh, I invite you to turn in them to Luke chapter 5. That's where we're going to get started tonight. But uh, before we start reading, I want to help you kind of pinpoint something. I want to help you put a finger on why you might not want to be discipled right now. Why you might not want to be discipled right now. At this point, defining some terms uh, would help us a lot. And so uh, here are a couple of quotes from Pastor Robbie Gallaty in his book, Growing Up, a great resource on this topic. Uh, First, he says, the essence of discipleship is one believer leading others to follow their course as they follow Christ. So that is one believer of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, leading others to follow their course of life as they follow Christ. He then goes on to say, before a person can make disciples, he or she must first be a disciple. And then he defines that for us. A disciple is a learner, one who is set on growing and developing. Why might we push this growing and developing to the margins of our life? What could cause us to put following Jesus on the back burner? I'm not asking these questions to scowl you or to scrutinize your life choices. I don't want to test the legitimacy of your excuses. That is not my heart. My heart with this series is to be real about where we find ourselves in this season of life and see how the gospel of Jesus Christ can carry us through it so that when we take one step after another, we find that we really are following Jesus. We are being discipled. We are deliberately growing and developing more into his image. In preparation for this series, I stumbled across an article that helped describe where some of us are and why discipleship may not be our foremost priority right now. I learned that some of us are disoriented. Disoriented. Some have moved back home to live with mom and dad. Some have lost their jobs and are looking for employment, while others have changed jobs and are still adjusting to a new vocational calling. If they've started at their job, they might find that it is not, uh, or I'm sorry, if they stayed at their job, they might find that it is not as fulfilling as it once was. The strange new rhythms of the pandemic have upset the stability of their lives. They are currently striving for balance in business returning to the office, maintaining a rigorous schedule, increasing efforts and productivity, and they are disoriented or demotivated. Demotivated. Some are demotivated because of the array of problems they witness in the church from its members and its leaders. Perhaps they have reexamined their faith after the public downfall of esteemed pastors and speakers 
and the ongoing sins of racism and sexism. They don't necessarily want to stop following Jesus, but what they describe as church hurt forces them to keep the church at arm's length. They are demotivated. And then discouraged. Discouraged. Some are feeling the weight of suffering and collective grief of the last two years. They are struggling with their mental health and motivation, possibly to the point of giving up on the struggle. The discouragement may have turned a scary corner towards living with some disorder or some label. Or maybe it's the death of a loved one or the loss of a relationship. Whatever the catalyst, it has them estranged from those who would look to direct them towards Christ. And then disembodied. Disembodied. These people probably aren't in the room. If they are, it's for the first time in a long time. And if that's you, I'm so glad you're here. And you are more than welcome here. Some of these have put off coming back to the church for some time. They are convinced that they just don't fit in. They have been removed from community because of the pandemic and have forgotten what it feels like to belong again. There's a disconnect and it seems like an impossible task to repair the connection, especially when they think there is no one to help from the other side. They are disembodied. Are you any of those? I think all of us can resonate with any one of these to some extent. And here's the unfortunate truth. Even if you have put aside discipleship for these reasons, even if you have not been focusing on deliberately following Jesus, you are still being discipled by something. You are being shaped into someone. You are being developed into something. You are always being discipled. But if it isn't by Jesus or his word or tangibly one of his followers, then you are being discipled away from his image and towards something else. You are being discipled apart from the gospel, and with some other source material. If I can help you do anything ahead of our time tonight, it would be to help you recognize the real position you may be in, whether it is disoriented or demotivated, discouraged or disembodied, and show you that it does you no good to stay there. I want to introduce you to Simon Peter. And together receive an honest look at discipleship so we can all take a step or two in the right direction. Um, I came across, across this quote. It's actually really funny. I posted it on my Instagram as a quote from C.S. Lewis. It's just a reminder that C.S. Lewis didn't have every great quote, right? Sometimes people attribute it to the wrong person. Um, it's actually Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. I think he said it was C.S. Lewis because that's a hard name. But I love this quote. He says, what saves a man is to take a step, then another step. It is always the same step, but you have to take it. 
And that's my goal for tonight. Let's take the right steps. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we desperately want to take the right steps and the right steps in the right direction. So Lord, would you help us to see what it may be to take a step and maybe another step towards the image of Jesus Christ as we follow you and we do what you command of us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the step we will look to make tonight is to count the cost. Count the cost. That is both our sermon title for tonight as well as our first point. Um, let's take a look at Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, to see the moment Peter counted the cost of following Jesus. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 say this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that is the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that is Peter's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. For now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the moment that Simon Peter initially counted the cost of following Jesus. Now, does he know Jesus perfectly? No, none of us do. Uh, to know Jesus perfectly would mean that we are one of the persons of the Trinity and we are not. Okay, well, does he know Jesus savingly? Again, the answer is no. And that's actually something that separates us from the disciples is that they followed Jesus and, and then he was their savior after the resurrection, right? We call on Jesus to be our Lord and savior here on the other side of the resurrection and then we begin to follow Jesus. No, they, they won't know Jesus as savior until after the resurrection. So, who does Peter know Jesus to be? Peter was astonished by the miracle as a demonstration of the presence of God. And that, that right there is the first step of understanding who Jesus is. 
the way you know you've begun to see Jesus for who he truly is, as Peter has here, is that it leads you to see your own spiritual bankruptcy. Peter's reaction to this miracle of a catch is appropriate for times when God appeared to someone. He fell down at Jesus' knees amidst all the slimy fish and asked Jesus to depart from him lest he be judged as a sinful man. It's not unlike the prophet Isaiah envisioning himself in the presence of the Lord surrounded by the, the seraphim, that is a kind of angel crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then what does Isaiah say? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. When you begin to see truly who Jesus is, you realize your own sin and brokenness. And that's what Jesus invites us out of. I love it. He says, don't be afraid. In other words, don't let fear impact your decision-making on this. Don't let fear affect your calculations as you count the cost. From now on, you will be catching men. You will, future tense, bring people into the kingdom of God and into a relationship with me. And what does Peter And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Peter counted the cost of following Jesus and stepped out in faith. You have to drop your nets to follow Jesus. But can I show you something? In verse 6, it said the nets were breaking. Jesus will show up and show you the brokenness of your way of life. And that is what makes dropping your way of life easier. In counting the cost to follow Jesus, you have to see that continuing to live your life the same way is the more costly option. But let's see an example of someone who counted the cost and saw that following Jesus was the more costly option. So turn with me to Luke chapter 18. We're going to read Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30, as we read about the rich ruler. Luke 18, verses 18 through 30 say this. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, 
All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to them, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter, Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus presses in on his prospective disciple to try and see to try and help him see his own spiritual bankruptcy. He presents some of the, the Ten Commandments to the man. You, you see, the law is designed to show us where we fall short and are in, in need of the grace of God. But the man claims perfection. Jesus tests his heart to see if there is a spirit of sacrifice and generosity in the man. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, he says, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. The rich ruler becomes sad and leaves the conversation. He counted the cost of following Jesus. And his, in his judgment, the cost was too high. But the conversation continued and with it, we see our next step. We count the cost and then we remember the reward. Remember the reward. Peter, almost giddy about it, says, see, we have left our homes and followed you. You have to think he's feeling pretty good about himself because uh, there was some talk about a reward. And Jesus affirms the disciples and the choice that they made. They counted the cost. They left everything to follow Jesus. And so Jesus reminds them of their reward. He says, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. What must that have been like for the disciples? What was going through Peter's mind? Upon hearing these words, they had to imagine what that reward would be like, wouldn't they? Maybe it's visioning themselves decked out in the finest robes or with the finest gold and jewels around them. Surely I will never work a day in my life. 
And if I somehow do, it won't be going to fish. What do you think about when you imagine what your reward will be like one day as you follow Jesus now? What do you imagine? And how does that impact your motivation to follow him now? Have you ever heard of the Cologne Cathedral? Interestingly enough, its actual name is the Cathedral Church of St. Peter. And it's a magnificent work of architecture. Construction began in the year 1248. You know when it was finished? 1880. 1248 to 1880. Now, there was a pause sometime around the Reformation, but altogether it took 350 years to complete. And you know what that required? The first man who laid the foundation stone at Cologne Cathedral knew that he would not live to worship in that building. And yet he still found the work worth doing. The reason Jesus reminds the disciples of their reward is not so they'll get lost in their own imagination of what it'll be like someday. It is so they are prepared for the long game approach of following Jesus. They might not get to see what their reward will be like, but they will see that deliberately following Jesus is definitely worth it. but what happens when the consequences of following Jesus speak louder than his reminder of a reward? What do we do when someone gets in our face about our association with Jesus? Jesus told his disciples quite often that they would be challenged and even persecuted for following him and it would tempt them to abandon him. We see no greater picture of this than with Peter. Peter was convinced that he would follow Jesus even to death. He told Jesus the night before Jesus was to be beaten and hung on a criminal's cross. Jesus heard Peter's declaration, but he also knew Peter's heart. Regardless of how resolved Peter was, Jesus knew that Peter would deny him. He said, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will have denied that you knew me three times. And that's exactly what happened. One accusation after another, Peter refuted them by denying that he even knew Jesus. You know, Jesus, the one he chose to follow on the boat that day three years ago. And in one of the most striking moments in all of Scripture, in my opinion, It says this in Luke 22, verses 61 and 62 say this, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. This is after Peter has denied Jesus three times. They're still in the same vicinity, and Peter looks right at Jesus. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept 
bitterly. The fact that we have this moment in Scripture testifies to the authenticity of the Bible. Because if I was Peter, I would hate that that is in the inspired, inerrant, eternal Word of God. Because there we have on record, Peter did not live up to his word. He abandoned Jesus. He abandoned the one he had chosen to follow. He thought he gave up everything to follow Jesus, but when he counted the cost again, it seemed that the cost of following Jesus was too great. What do we do when we find ourselves in a, in a similar yet probably a less dramatic position to that of Peter? Well, Peter went back to fishing. He picked up his broken nets. Tell me, is that what you do? When the cost of following Jesus appears too great, do you simply double down on your old way of life? Let's see how that went for Peter. Let's go to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verses 3 through 14. John 21, verses 3 through 14 say this. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Now this is the, the resurrected Jesus. He's gone on the cross and through the grave. And here he is standing on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that is John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped work and threw himself into the sea. I don't know about you, but I, I picture Forrest Gump when he sees Lieutenant Dan, just, just jumps out into the water, lets the boat go, right? The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Our last step for tonight is this. Keep the course. 
Count the cost, remember the reward, and keep the course. Peter had returned to fishing. Jesus had appeared to the disciples a few times by now, but even that was not enough to get Peter back on track. It required a different miracle. Different, but familiar. 153 fish to be exact. I love that somebody in the Bible counted that, right? I think what made the difference in Peter's life is that it was reminiscent of when he first followed Jesus. The time he originally counted the cost and found following Jesus worth giving up everything. If Jesus was willing to seemingly break the nets again, he might be willing to let Peter follow him again. But the nets weren't what was broken. It was Peter's heart that was broken and in need of repair. The great thing about Jesus is that a broken and contrite heart he does not despise. He received Peter that morning next to the charcoal fire. It's an important detail because the last time Peter had been next to a charcoal fire in the presence of Jesus was the moment he had denied him three times. This was an obvious callback to that moment by Jesus. And Jesus leverages it to show that he was more than willing to mend Peter's broken heart and restore him to his original purpose, to make him a fisher of men. There's a beautiful dialogue between Jesus and Peter after this breakfast, and we don't have time to get into it tonight, but it ends with two words. Follow me. You may be disoriented, demotivated, discouraged, or disembodied. But this I know with all my heart. Jesus invites you out of that position by simply following him. We'll get into the depth of those words. Follow me next week. For now, you have one step to take. Count the cost. Do you truly know who Jesus is? Does being in his presence make you more aware of your spiritual bankruptcy? Do you realize how broken you and your way of life are? If you feel that you have much, like the rich ruler, you may think it is too costly to follow Jesus. But if you hold your broken and tattered nets in your hand and see them for what they are, you will find that it is too costly not to follow Jesus. Perhaps you counted the cost long ago, but need to be reminded of the reward that awaits you in eternal life for following Jesus. He promises that you will receive a reward for every bit of what you're willing to give up to follow him. Maybe the cost of following Jesus is greater than you originally anticipated. You are seeing as if for the first time what the cost of following Jesus actually entails. And hey, it could mean your life. Will you return to your nets? Will you take back up your broken way of life? Let me assure you, Jesus, the Son of God, longs to be with you. It is the very heart of God 
that he would be steadfast in his love towards you. And he has made this very apparent in the work that he was willing to do to save you from your sins. If you choose to put aside following him or passively drift away from following him for any amount of time, you will not have success. You will likely be miserable. I take no pleasure in saying that. I say that with all seriousness because once you've been in the presence of God and you've begun to follow Jesus, nothing else will fulfill you. No job, no spouse, no media or material item, no vacation or destination. Nothing satisfies the way following Jesus does. Will you take that step? Will you count the cost? Will you remember the reward? Will you keep the course? Hear these words of Jesus. Which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? I tell you this, Anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be a follower of Christ. You must decide today, right now, is it too costly for you to follow Jesus? Or is it too costly for you not to follow Jesus? Count the cost. Remember the reward and keep the course.